are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Some days I can't hardly wait until I can jump up here and share with you what God is teaching me, and this is one of those days. I'm going to put an image on the screen, and, um, and you might remember an image like this that I shared with you a couple of years ago. So here we go. Um, I put it on the screen a couple of years ago, and, uh, and I asked a question, and I was inspired by um, a preacher that I'd heard maybe just prior to that. Here's the image. Here's the question. Do you remember when you first realized yourself that the world was broken? I spent a lot of time thinking about it in my own life. And I think for me probably it was when I was a young boy in the mid to late 60s when I became very aware of the civil rights movement. And my mom was a very gentle spirited lady, a very loving person but desired deeply and prayed earnestly that she would live in a world one day, a nation, where everybody, regardless of the color of your skin, would be treated equally. It broke her heart, and it came to break my heart that some people were treated differently than others. When I think about the brokenness of our world, I think it lies primarily in the way that we treat one another. There are many people who have been done wrong. They have been abused. They have been mistreated. They are broken. And they are bruised. It's always amazed me that there are people in this world who can hurt other people and it just doesn't seem to bother them at all. There are other people who hurt other people, and it bothers them that they do, but they still do it. And so when I think about the fact that the world is broken, I I find hope in Jesus, right? And so even though we come to understand the gospel, I don't know that we have fully understood it. I think we're tempted to misunderstand it, because when you read words like uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only son, that whoever believed in him would have everlasting life. That's really good news for the sinner. But is there any good news for the person who has been sinned against? The person who is wronged. The person who is mistreated. The person who has been abused. The person who is broken. The person who is bruised in life. And so one day Jesus comes into Galilee and he proclaims these words, the good news of God, he calls it. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe this good news. And the truth of the matter is the good news of the kingdom of God is not only good news for the sinner, but it's also good news for the person who has been sinned against. 
the person who was wronged, the person who was abused, the person who was broken, the person who was mistreated, the person who has been bruised. What Jesus is saying is that things are going to change. And earth is going to start looking a lot more like heaven. Especially for people who have been mistreated. In other words, we are not left with nothing but fear. There is hope. So, grab the Bible that you brought with you or your phone or whatever and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. We've been in Isaiah for several weeks now talking about this idea of hopes and fears. And the thing that I love so much about Isaiah is that he does an incredible job of showing us that this coming King, this coming Messiah is going to be filled with incredible love and compassion and care and concern for all people, especially for people who have been sinned against, okay? And so let me take you to chapter 42, and I'm going to start reading with verse 1. So here we go. God introduces His servant, the Messiah, who we will come to know as Jesus. 700 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah says, this is what this king is going to be like. Isn't that incredible? 700 years before it happens, Isaiah describes him to a T. And he says, here is my servant. This is God speaking through Isaiah. Whom I uphold, my chosen one. God is saying, I chose him. In whom I delight, God is saying, I'm really pleased with him. I will put my spirit on him. In other words, I will anoint him. And he will bring justice to the nations. In other words, this great concern about people who have been sinned against, God is going to set things right. For people who have been done wrong, God is going to settle the situation. He will not shout out or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick. He will not snuff out, but in faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. And you and I even make it into the Scripture. In his teaching, the islands, meaning the Gentiles, meaning people who live far away from Israel, will put their hope. What he's saying is that Chris Holcomb, Rick Harvey, Casey Meyer, people like that will one day put their hope in Jesus and they will brace this incredible teaching of his regarding how we treat people. So this is God's word for us today. I want to talk to you about a guy whose name is John Wesley. He is responsible for helping a lot of people like me and you come to a greater understanding of what God is like. He was a Anglican priest. He lived in England some couple hundred years ago. He um, was a theologian. So John Wesley had this great desire to care for people who were poor. In fact, in the very beginning days of his ministry of Methodism, he would receive offerings for the poor. They would actually go to the homes of people who attended the Methodist society. And they would hold out a plate and say, do you have any money this week for the poor? So John Wesley had this great heart for people who were hurting. Here's what's interesting about Wesley. 
He was not only concerned that people like you and me would give to the poor, but he said, I think it's really important for any disciple of Christ, any serious follower of Jesus, to spend time with the poor. And so one guy writes about Wesley, and he says, Wesley would have no sooner neglected spending time in the hovels of the poor than he would have neglected the Eucharist. In other words, Wesley loved going to worship. He loved celebrating the Lord's Supper, but he also felt a great compassion to spend time with people who were poor. Makes me ask myself the question, how much time do I spend with people who are poor? Wesley said, not only do you need to spend time with the poor and give money to the poor, but you should spend your life trying to rectify those systems that keep people poor. And so the last letter that he writes before he dies, the last letter that he writes before he dies is addressed to William Wilberforce. And you know what it's about? Slavery. And he says to Wilberforce in England, somehow by God's grace, we have to end this awful atrocity of human slavery. It breaks the heart of God. Some 2,400 years before Wesley, there was another great man who was concerned about the poor. And his name was Isaiah. And he says to the nation of Israel, there's two major problems with the nation. Number one, you've broken your covenant with God. But number two, you are oppressing the poor. And if you don't repent, and if you don't stop, and if you don't change your ways, and if you don't begin to live differently, God is going to judge you. Your enemy, Assyria, is going to come, and they're going to overtake you. When you get to the 39th chapter of Isaiah, there is a new enemy that Isaiah prophesies about, and that is Babylon. And he says, if you don't repent and change your ways, another enemy will come later, Babylon, and they will overtake you. Did you know that 100 years later, after Isaiah said it, it actually happened? And they took the people into exile. When you get to chapter 40, everything changes. And Isaiah begins to have this conversation about God's redemption. After you're taken into exile... And then after you're freed, God is going to do something new. He's going to redeem this nation. He's going to send His servant, the Messiah. And He's going to bring hope, the hope that He promised years ago to Abraham. And He begins to talk about this coming King, this Messiah, this Jesus that you and I are so excited about during the season of Advent, His coming. This little baby that was born in the, in the town of Bethlehem, right? And He begins to compare Him to other world leaders, and He says, He is not the same. He compares Him to Cyrus, this great Persian king who was somehow anointed by God. And He begins by saying, it this way. He will not, he will not, he will not. He will not be like the other kings. He will not be like other world leaders. He will not be like other people and rulers have been. Oh no, he will not raise his voice 
and cry out in the streets. In other words, he is not going to stand in the streets and scream at his opponents and see if the person who can scream the loudest will win. He's not like that at all. He's gentle. He's lowly. He's meek. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's comforting. Then how's he going to rule? With a sword? No, he doesn't own a sword. He's going to rule with love. He will not take advantage of the weak. He will not trample, trample rather, over the weak person to get to the top and to take the throne. He will not give up until justice finally happens on this earth. What he will do, he will bring justice to the whole earth. So, here's what I want to do with the time we have left. I want to talk to you about justice, okay? I don't want to just talk about justice, but I want to talk to you about justice from Isaiah's viewpoint, from the viewpoint of the Old Testament. So if I ask you to define justice, what would you say? Most people would say something like this, to give someone what they deserve. So in the Old Testament mindset, in Isaiah's heart, justice was about giving something to someone that was due them, whether good or bad. Okay? So it's not only protecting the rights of somebody, but it's also punishing somebody for doing wrong. So, tell you a little story real quick. Annette and I, we were invited to some folks' house for lunch a couple of Sundays ago. We go in their home and they say, hey, lunch is ready. Come on and sit down. So we sit down at their table and they have some friends there having lunch with them also. And somewhere in the course of the conversation, they start passing their phone around to us and they say, look what we came home to from vacation. Their house had been broken into and ransacked. Stolen things out of their home. So what if that happened to you? Somebody breaks into your house, steals your stuff. But the police run them down, catch them, returns your stuff to you, prosecutes the thief, and throws them in jail. You might argue that justice was done on both counts. Your rights were protected as a citizen of the United States of America. But the person who wronged you was judged and is now paying the price in jail. So justice has these two sides. It's not only punishing someone who has done wrong, but it's protecting the rights of the other person. That's justice. Now, when you get into the Old Testament and you get into Isaiah's mindset, what you begin to find is that justice is not only punishing someone for doing wrong, but it's taking up the cause for people who are maybe wronged or helpless. And what you find in the Old Testament are four categories of people that you take up the cause for. Widows, orphans, strangers or immigrants, and the poor. Now, you've got to lean in. You can't miss this next statement. Because what you learn is that not only is this close to the heart of God, but He judges societies and nations on the basis of how they treat these four categories of people. I'm just giving you straight-up Bible right now, okay? 
God judges societies and nations based on how they treat orphans, widows, immigrants, and the poor. In the very story that we are in the middle of, one of God's greatest concerns for the nation of Israel is their mistreatment of the poor. And it's close to the heart of God. And He sends His Son, Jesus, to bring justice to the earth. So I've only said a couple of things so far. Here's the first thing I said. The world is broken. People hurt people. People mistreat people. People take advantage of people. Here's the second thing that I've said. Christmas is about Jesus coming to mend a broken world. To set things right. I remember one time Annette and I, we decided we needed a new uh, chair for our living room. This was when we were living back in Cincinnati. And so we started shopping at furniture stores looking for a chair. You know what that's like? You, you got to find the right style. You got to find the right color. Annette has more opinions about that than I have. It's just like, well, that's a chair. Let's buy that one. And she's like, no, I would never put that in that room. You know, what are you thinking? And so we're furniture store shopping all of these recliners. We need a big chair for me. What about all this little furniture these days? What's that all about? You know what I'm saying? I need a chair that will hold a man, you know, and a remote. And so we go looking for this chair that's going to be just perfect, this chair that Annette is going to finally give her approval on, you know. And we're in this furniture store, and we walk all over this store, and we, we're not finding anything. And I can tell the guy is looking at Annette going, you know, it's not happening for her right here. And finally he says, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's go back here into this room. There's a couple recliners back there. One of them might be a possibility for you. It's the scratch and dent room. So here we go back into the back of the store, into this scratch and dent room, things that have been damaged. Store owners have said, don't, don't put that out in the front of the store. We don't, we don't want people coming in and judging us by that. Put it in the back room. Throw it back in the very back of the back where nobody will sit. We don't want that to be people's first impression. These goods have been damaged. These goods have been bruised. And so here we find ourselves standing in front of a recliner. It's the right color. It's the right style. It's the right everything. But it's been mistreated. It's been bruised. It's got scratches. And to my shock and surprise, Annette says, I love it. And I looked at her thinking, yeah, but look, look at it. And she says, it's actually perfect. And I'm looking at her in confusion. I like the price because it's about a third of the price. I thought that was really good. And Annette finally looks at the guy and she says, we'll take it. And finally, I'm just like, but don't you see? And she goes, you will never notice them when I finish with it. She said it with such resolve. 
So we load the recliner into our family van and we drag it out of the car van when we get home and we get into our living room and Annette goes and gets her stuff and she starts working on those scratches. And sure enough, when she finished, I mean, I could not find them. Hey, guys, take that chair to the back room. Get in the back of the store. Damaged goods. It's got some scratches on it. We don't want anybody to see that when they walk in. Reduce the price. It's not worth as much. It doesn't value what it used to value. And somebody walks in and sees it and says, oh, no, 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 no. No, it it still has value. It, It still has worth. In fact, it has purpose. Is that your story? Because what we see in the story is Jesus' attitude toward people who are hurting. Let let, let me just give you the image on the screen. I think it might help you. A bruised reed he will not break. And so you see this reed standing by the water's edge. It's, It's strong and sturdy and it's tall, right? You know, it it stands with pride. The wind blows, but it doesn't blow it over. But wait a minute, here's another one. They're usually kind of a hollow stalk, and when it's bruised, it it's bent. And you might say, Rick, that's that that's me. I once stood tall and and kind of strong and and sturdy and at times proud, you know. But then life happened. I was wronged, I was abused, I was mistreated, I was broken, and now I don't stand tall and proud anymore and strong and sturdy. This read here is more like my life. I was wounded. It was sickness, or it was betrayal, or I was lied to, or I was taken advantage of, or there were cruel words. And I no longer stand tall and straight and sturdy and secure. No, my life looks more like a bruised reed. I think the other image is helpful too. It's the smoldering wick. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And you might be saying, Rick, I used to, I mean, my life burned bright. I was, I was full of life, you know. I mean, I was, it was awesome. But then life happened. And I was wounded. I was broken. I was wronged. I was mistreated. And and my life now, more than just burning brightly, resembles more of a smoldering wick. There's not that much life left in me anymore. Do you understand 
what is happening here? Isaiah is saying that when Jesus comes, when this servant Messiah comes, that he's going to be very, very, very different. And what he is going to do is he is going to care deeply for everybody who has been wronged. And deep in his heart, he is going to begin to establish this kingdom on earth where earth starts to look a lot more like heaven, especially in the way people are treated. And he's going to bring you to healing. And he's going to fan new life into that flame. And you're going to stand tall again. I love the words. Let me give you the words right here, okay? Uh, This is an awesome scripture. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I read these words this week in my devotions, okay? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So... The world is broken. Christmas is about Jesus coming to mend a broken world. The third thing I want to say is that I am confident that he wants to employ you in his work of mending brokenness and bringing about justice in this world. So if somebody asks you, uh, who are you? Have you ever had anybody say that to you? That's kind of weird, isn't it? Who are you? You know, but if somebody asks, who are you? What, how, do you how do you express your identity? So if somebody asked me, so who are you? I, I might would say, uh, I'm a pastor. Um, true story. Or I might say, uh, I'm a grandpa. I love that identity. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm Rick. Um, I might say I was raised in a small Kentucky town. You know, true story. Think about this with me. When when it's about God's identity, how does God want to be identified? Who does God say he is? What is the identity that God... Are you ready for this? Do you know what God says about his identity? If you said to God, who are you? Do you know what God says in his word about himself? He says, I am... I'm a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widow. (laughs) That's his identity. That's how he makes himself known. That's, I take on their cause. I stand up for people who have been wronged, who have been forgotten, who have been abused, who have been bruised. God says, that's who I am. Do you think somehow over the years we've kind of missed it? Jesus came and we really didn't know who he was. And a couple of thousand years later, we still don't really know who he is. And when we think of Jesus, we don't think in terms of someone who has come to bring justice to this world and to set wrongs right. Do you know that's who he is? The world is broken. Jesus came to mend it. And he came to mend the brokenness in you. And he wants to employ you in his work. So I'm always trying to figure out how you live this law in everyday life, you know. I don't have it figured out. But sometimes I see pictures. 
images where it's happening. And so when I think about a young man who was raised in this church, who doesn't live in the U.S. today, he's in France. And you know what he's doing with his life? He's trying to help refugees start life all over again. Or I think about another young man who was raised in this church, who as a college student is running a food pantry just a couple of miles north of us. And every week he looks into the eyes of men and women and children who don't have enough food on their table. And I think about a lady who sat in this service one Sunday morning during a series called Say Yes, and God said to her, there are people in Two Lakes who need medical care, and you're a nurse. You could help them. And she didn't know how the day that she said yes, but she said yes. And in a few weeks, we will open a free clinic in Two Lakes. Or another lady who attends this church who is volunteering many of her hours toward criminal justice reform. Or a retired couple that instead of playing tennis and golf in their 70s are living most of their life in a country called Iswatini. And you know what is the burden of their heart today and they are raising money for today? It's to provide a home, build a home for young girls who have been sexually abused in their own homes to have a safe place they can live and begin the process of healing and recovering. The world's broken. Jesus came to mend it and to mend the brokenness in you and me. And he would love to employ you to help him bring about justice on this earth. You want to stand with me? Lean in to his love this morning. Lean into his grace. Sing about his goodness with me today. If you say, Rick, this morning, I'm the bruised reed in the room. I'm the smoldering wick. You can always pray where you are, or you can come here and pray, or you can pray about how God might use you to bring about justice in this world. Let's, let's just lean in this morning before we go and be in his presence. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.